and welcome to what appears to be episode 47 of Pennies in the Well. Uh, and that probably sounds very strange because I'm pretty sure I did not publish the last couple of episodes. Why? Because I wasn't entirely sure that what I said in them were things that I wanted to share with the world. My life, my experiences, my viewpoint, my perspective has been shifting, changing, morphing, uh, becoming over the last weeks, months, years. I, in so many ways, am not the person who started this podcast, and yet here I am, still, again, recording after weird long hiatuses with a not a hope necessarily of continuing to podcast, because in some ways, um, the podcasting act itself doesn't matter to me. It's the the talking, the sharing, the that what lives inside of me and my perspective and my my spirit and my soul does not exist solely within me and my spirit and my soul. That it can exist and be experienced and seen and felt and encountered by you, that you can hear about my perspective and my experience and my viewpoint and my invitations and my thoughts and go, yes, this is something that resonates for me or, oh, God, this woman is off her fucking rocker, which is also true. Never going to argue the point that I'm off my rocker. As I have said many a time, including to pretty much all the bosses that I've had in the later part of my life, uh, I am functionally insane as far as I'm concerned in that I, I am insane by the world's standards, by most standards. However, I am exceedingly functional. I am very good at what I do and at functioning within the world, within the bounds and the confines, the rules and the requirements of everyday living. And so my insanity, people just kind of go, wow, she's quirky and move right along uh, because I am so functional. It's amazing what you can get away with uh, in being yourself. If you bring yourself in an authentic, honest, caring way to the world, uh, you can actually be your authentic self. And it can be a good thing. That is my blessed experience. And I am very blessed uh, with work, with my people, with uh, everything around me. Deeply blessed. Which makes kind of uh, where this rambling discussion topic, etc. was going to take is kind of funky and strange. Because most of the time I do not feel blessed. Thank you, universe, for all of your challenges. And tonight... This episode, this podcast is brought to you by David's Tea Valerian Root with uh, hmm, coconut and caramel in my lovely oat milk because, yeah, I have spent a lot of the last however long since we talked working on healing and health and failing and sliding deeper into a miasma of depression on top of anxiety, absolutely riddled with exhaustion um, that the allopathic medicine, so Western medicine, has definitively ruled all the potential, you know, 
actual normal, well, not normal causes, but physiological causes out, leaving me with a vague potential diagnosis of chronic fatigue syndrome, which if you know anything about syndromes, pretty much guarantees that it's a collection of symptoms with no known particular cause that they don't know a heck of a lot about what to do with. That's what I find most of the syndromes seem to be ultimately uh, in description. So here I be. Uh, working on my exhaustion, seeing now a different naturopath who's got me on this crazy ass diet. And if you think life can get kind of uh, limited and sad, well, no gluten, no caffeine, no chocolate. I was already living those. No dairy. No dairy. That means no cheese. I have no cheese in my world. No cheese. Yeah, no sugar either, but you know what, there, there's some compensatory kind of things that you can do around sugar, making it okay-esque. No cheese and a fair amount of nuts that I can't have and tomatoes and citrus and blah, 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 blah. So, uh, yeah, did I mention no cheese? And I, oh, cheese, man. The things we live for. Mm. So as I said, I am, I am drinking... Oat milk heated up with this lovely valerian root uh, coconut caramel concoction, which is quite lovely and tasty. I have one cat off to the side of me being my solid, chilled-out companion, and one running around like a little maniac. Same boys as always been. Well, I kind of feel like, hey, I could catch you up on life, or hey, we could dive into things, and hey, maybe we can do both at the same time. Uh, I hope that you are well. I hope that life, your life is spinning moments of pleasure, bliss, happiness, peace um, into it, along with all the other stuff that life is throwing at us. It's a difficult, well, it's an interesting and difficult time to be alive in. And if you believe that we choose our incarnations, that we choose to come to be born in the moment and place and soma, living body, that we are in, then we have all chosen for one reason or another to be here in this rather climactic part of the story of Terra and the humans. Hmm, could be an interesting story. And of course, what I mean by this is the fact that we are in a climate crisis and uh, we have passed a point of um, manageable return and no, 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 we are, we are going to see the swinging of this change through. Uh, yeah, there, there is no pulling back from the edge. We, we've actually already gone off the edge. It's just a matter of how we fall. And what does it look like and how do we handle, we handle things going forward. And that may sound really horrible, terrifying. You might be going, oh dear God, please don't talk about that. And a lot of times I do the, I really don't want to talk about the, the extinction that faces us. Uh, and not, not all people are going to die. I mean, let's face it. We are a very resilient uh, species deeply resilient. Uh, we bounce back from anything. We are the mammal cockroaches. Uh, can't hold us down. Can't stop us. Uh, so we will survive. But what? What will survive? So yes, these are the thoughts that go through my head. And these are the thoughts that I am randomly sort of sharing because it's heading me 
to kind of two things that are crossing my mind that feel a desire to be expressed. And hey, I'm feeling a desire to share and express. And if you knew how rare that was, you'd understand why I am right this moment recording this episode because I don't have a lot of impulses that move me towards uh, living moments. Uh, Most of my impulses are to self-medicate through drugs, uh, to run into Netflix, to push away emotion, and to just fucking hide from it all. Because personal life and world life both combine into overwhelming and leaves me not wanting to engage. So hey, look, me engaging. It's a miracle. It's a seasonal miracle, and it kind of is, because every year between Christmas and New Year's, I go on retreat. I turn off all of my electronics, except I keep only my my camera with me, because mm, can't stop taking the pictures. You can find me on Instagram, even though I'm really lazy about it, at The Abysmal Witch. Uh, unfortunately, Abysmal Witch was already taken. A little sad about that, but that's what you get when you take a really long time to finally get around to going onto a platform that millions of people use across the planet. So, nah, not too bad. You can find me there at the Abysmal Witch. Have a look at some of the uh, photography. Maybe this will inspire me to get a little bit more up on there. Because, again, it's been very hard to engage with life, and I may have been taking pictures, but I wasn't posting them because that was a step too far, too much. I just reached a place where I, I I mean, okay, yes, I get up at 10 to 6 in the morning to go to work. Uh, I got a great situation going on, though, because I finish work technically at least at 2 o'clock. A lot of days it's more like 3, but that's okay, because it's still earlier than 4, and I get home, and I mean, I was dead exhausted when I got home, and I'd watch Netflix, and then I'd be uh, asleep by 8 o'clock, because I was too tired to stay up late. Right now, it's, I think... 8.33 in the evening. Look at me go. A wild woman up past 8 o'clock. So, you know, something to be said for this horrible diet. Well, is it really horrible? This difficult, this difficult diet that I am on and how um, the stuff that I'm doing is really working. So here's to you and Valerian Root. So yeah, um, I, I threw in there that... I'm a absolute, well, puddle is too small. I'm a pool, a pool of depression on top of a wailing pit of anxiety. And that I think a large part of why you haven't heard from me really much for years is life spiraled down. I had the whole heartbreak multiple times in a year, blah, blah, blah. Um, still true, still really difficult to dare to be open-hearted and have that fail repeatedly. Uh, the world is not kind sometimes, especially to the open-hearted. And then the business, I went as self-employed for three years and I did not make enough money. And what I don't normally talk about is how for those three years, I lived in terror every day absolute terror. So I grew up in a family that was very uh, stability conscious, not necessarily security, but stability conscious. We did not take risks. We did not do things that were outside of reasonable because that was not reasonable. 
one did not do that. Am I going into business for myself? Whoa, crazy land. Okay, sure, my sister's husband is in business for himself, but that's the husband, not my sister. Um, and he was, he, you know, congrats to him. He does a really good job. Uh, on his business. I, however, failed to make a go of it, which um, my first real endeavor that I, not the first thing I failed at, but the first thing I really committed to that I failed at. (gasps) Took me a long time. I was in my 40s before that happened. So, you know, I was a pretty charmed life and pretty charmed child for a long, long time in a lot of ways. I had some really nasty shit happen when I was a child, gave me my baggage. That's really great because you got to have some emotional things to work on in order to get deep inside of yourself and really get into your witchy parts. But I really, in a lot of ways, uh, from especially outside perspectives, led a charmed life. So why, why am I admitting to my intense anxiety? I mean, it was bad. I couldn't acknowledge it. I couldn't see it. I couldn't engage with it. I I read and reread books. I, I would put these odd limitations on myself. Like I knew that I was running into novels too high that, um, because on the days I would teach no drugs allowed. I'm like, okay, that's fair. Uh, but then how do I get away from myself? So I would read novels and then I knew I was doing this and I needed to put an end to it. So I'm like, fine, you can read like two authors or three authors. I think it might've been three. My favorite authors, mind you, and they had a fair amount of body of work. So, you know, it gave me a good amount to read. But at the same time, when that's what you are doing and running into day after day after day, you're rereading the same novels. And I did it deliberately, you know, because when I make these I don't know how even sometimes these agreements with myself that aren't the ones I'm going to fail at. They're the ones I'm going to stick to. I don't know what makes an agreement I'm going to stick to versus one I'm going to fail at, but it happens. And I made this agreement I was going to stick to, and I was only going to read these three authors, figuring that I would get bored, dulled, you know, like that, that limitation would corner me into facing my avoidance. Well, no, no, it just proved how far I was willing to go <laughs> to avoid because I was rereading those books and rereading and rereading and rereading and truly compulsively avoiding my emotional state. You know what happens when you avoid your emotional state? It builds. It's, uh, it's a pimple that turns into a cyst because If it's not, (laughs) shark moment, better out than in. If it's not coming out, then it's building inside. So I talked a couple of episodes ago, and I like to think I actually published that episode about emotions and to consider emotions in the context of air rather than water. For most of us pagany people uh, who have been in the... Um, Wiccany, witchy side of things because I'm not entirely sure how far it spreads, but I'm actually betting it's really, really, really far. The concept that water and emotion are wedded together and that air and intellect are wedded together, it is deep in Western mysticism. Deep, I tell you, deep. 
Sorry about drinking on the job, as it were. Except A, not a job, and B, uh, still going to do it. So exploring the idea that air is emotion and water is mind or intellect, but take it farther. Okay, so the the idea of exploration, by the way, for me is so gone. This is my new world order. And have I ever explained how this shit works? That I've opened myself up to the wisdom of the universe and have invited in the wisdom and knowledge to change from where we have been to where I hope we go and to create something. No, to shift us. We need to shift. We need to shift as a species into a better version of ourselves. And we can't do that by being the old version of ourselves. You know, it's like, um, if I have a pattern, let's say, of dating uh, emotionally unavailable men, I haven't tried dating women yet. I wonder if I would pick the same pattern with women. It intrigues me. So same pattern over and over and over again. If to think that I'm, if I don't change what's causing that pattern, if I don't change my behavior, if I don't change my patterns, well, I'm not going to change my pattern and I'm going to continue to hook up with unavailable emotional men. So, um, yeah, and a truth on that one. We need, if we're to go forward, if we're to live differently, if we are to interact with Tara, the world differently, if we are to be different, to have a different outcome than what we are hurtling towards at a ridiculous speed, then we have to change. We have to change. We, we have to shift. We have to um, transform, become, and do things and see things differently. So let's play with perspective a little bit. I love playing with perspective because the more that we open our perspective, the wider we become, the more we can embrace and the more we understand, the more we can accept. It's, it's really quite something actually. Uh, narrowing perspective shuts us down and cuts us off, separates us from everyone. We open our perspective and we come to understanding of ourselves and each other's in deep and fascinating ways that really open us up to the eternal love that travels and exists between all and everything in one. And yes. Okay. Sorry. Woo. That was a little, uh, spacey trip because sometimes when the words start babbling out of my mouth and my, my soul kind of follows along and goes, Oh, that's a pretty place. I want to go there. But right now we are recording this for your delectation, uh, as well. So let's come back to topic. So I've been getting, downloading information and it's transforming and transformed the way that I perceive and experience and engage with the world. And some of these things are very simple and quite mind blasting, uh, like the flip of air and water and what they connect to. And that this, you, you can, absolutely go with the old 
the old story way of it. However, what, what if you were to change the story? What if you were to flip it? What if you were to see that there's a second truth, a different truth, and that this truth can sh- change because it's, it's still true and it, and it is a different truth. It takes you to a place where it's different. And different has some distinct advantages because we already know where the same takes us. We're, we're on that path. We get that path. Different. Different opens possibilities. So in my what sometimes I call Wicca 2.0, because uh, it's still Wicca as far as I'm concerned, it's just, uh, you know, version 2.0, as it were. And in this version, in my Wicca 2.0, as I said, air is emotion. I've talked about this, I think, before, that we need to let emotion flow. Uh, Not flow as in water, but flow like the wind. To to shift, to eddy, to spring up out of nowhere and just as quickly be gone. That emotion isn't meant to sit and linger and... And, and become a stagnant pool inside of us. That is not how emotion works, but it's how most of us deal with emotion, and that's part of why. Oh, so not healthy. And that water is it's not just our mind or intellect. It's our entire psyche. It's our entire uh, perceptional process, which includes our mind, which includes thought and judgment and knowledge and information and understanding and relation and all of those wonderful things. So these are some of the stuff that I've been playing with. I've recently been hit by, like, I mean, like two weeks ago, another shift that's absolutely breaking my poor little brain. My poor poor little psyche goes whoosh. Uh, And that is that, um, and I do play with words. I play with words because... The words that we've used for so long have really embedded uh, expectations around them. Like we talk about the body and we say body and we mean this physical lump that we sit inside of and we don't feel, I think, for most people, as connected um, and real with our, our physical selves when we talk about body and physical body. The fact is that the living body that we are in, if you want to be considered in, is absolutely and completely 100% part of our experiential process. It has to be. It's how we experience the world. No matter how perceptional and heady you want to get, no matter how much you want to reach up into the the ultimate expression of Godhead and connect with the source, we are still embodied. And as long as we are embodied, everything that we experience is through filtered lenses of our senses that go through our brain cells that translate the world around us into something we perceive. And that's good. This is how the universe experiences itself. This is how uh, life is actually lived, is inside of living bodies that go through living experiences. Transcendence is very, you know, cool and all. It's going to happen. 
guarantee you. You know why? Because you're going to die. I'm going to die. We're all going to die. And we are going to transcend this mortal plane and experience an afterlife or not as we believe, as happens, as will happen because we will no longer be living in this moment, in this, in this livingness. So our, our living body is really important and living body in, um, I believe it's Latin, not that I have that right to hand, is soma. So I, I've done a lot of work in the last couple of years with somatic experiencing, which is about experiencing through the living body. It is about experiencing our emotions as something that happens to us on an emotional as well as physiological level. And really connecting into the fact that all of our lived experiences are lived in this body that we are inside of and that that has import and meaning and uh, impact on how we interact with our experiences and the information and our traumas and our joys. So we have a soma. So I actually play with instead of um, our heart, mind, body, and soul, which is what I think the when people want to break us ourselves into four parts, it's usually what they go with. Um, so for heart, I go with emos, which mostly because it follows the pattern of using uh, Latin for the words psyche for our mind, because mind is just so fucking limiting. We've got to break past this idea of, of just this mind aspect. Um, Soma, instead of body, I go with soma because you really got to get that idea. It's, it's a, it, we are living. We are living. Our cells are eating and eliminating and living and dying. And we, we are just a constant um, expression of the living life force that is, well, the universe and the dream of the universe having its lived experience. So soma. And then for the fourth one, I don't see the fourth as soul. For me, the for soul and spirit, a whole nother topic, different day. They, if you were to say that the four aspects, if we arrange them around like quarters in a Wiccan circle, um, there would be the four and then there's above and below. And that for me, spirit is above, soul is below and my worldview. So what would be that fourth quarter? What would be historically for me, fire? And that is our will. We don't, volos is the word I use, and that we, we have so little understanding of our, our true will in the universe that we conflate it into our spirit, we conflate it into our soul, we don't give it its own space and understanding. How can we really take ownership of ourselves and our lives if we can't even acknowledge that our our will is just as important as our soma as our psyche as our emotions if we don't understand that this is another component of our our base living selves well, then we're we're kind of limited um on how far and how well how far and how long we can get i don't know my, my metaphor failed there one moment drink required Mm. so tasty if you can't have normal milk anymore and the lovely syrupy flavorings that go into it that taste so good uh, it's a, 
at this point a really good backup and now it's gone because I like my drinks stupidly hot and uh, it had definitely cooled off. So we have, these, these are the four aspects I've been working with and then I told you that within the last two weeks my brain got flipped. Well, that's because I've been, you know, I worked the soma, the, the living body and earth, right? The body, earth, physical, it's a, a long-standing association. And fire, which is where people put spirit, is where I put volos. And that, that, make, that makes sense, right? Uh, excuse the momentary lapse. Uh, I actually lost the second half of the recording of this podcast. It's gone now. That was so yesterday. I'm in a snowstorm. The world has radically changed, and yet nothing has radically changed because... Uh, change is constant. We move forward, we live, we breathe, we change. And with change comes the universe twisting my poor, poor little brain into twisty, twisty knots by taking our will and putting it in earth, volos into earth and soma into fire and going, the haka haka? What? So to invite you into this sanity, as always, it's an invitation. Come along for the ride. And I invite and almost dare you to explore these concepts and, and feel into them. It's so critically important that we feel into things and not just think our way into things and feel our way into what it means to put the soma into fire, the living body into fire, which is to say, so, so let me back up ever so slightly to go, it isn't wrong the way we have it. There's nothing that's wrong about it, but it's, it's a way of experiencing, not the way. And I'm finding that earth and fire and air and water have natural flowing tendencies into and out of each other in a rather, um, infinity sign kind of way. So uh, do not take this as a, that was all wrong, but rather that was so last decade and let's try something new in the new decade and what does it look like? So your invitation is to play with these thoughts and see where they take you. And with that, so Soma into fire. Well, uh, it is, we are in living bodies. We are not uh, elemental earth fixed and form and a sense of unchanging. Our bodies are constantly changing. We eat, we metabolize, we poop, we breathe, we metabolize, we exhale, we have sex, we may get pregnant and then other things come out. This analogy is going a little sideways. But the point is that our bodies are these living entities. We are we are constantly in a state of cell regeneration, cell growth and death. We are constantly constantly changing in a very fundamental cellular level uh, every moment of every day. Living processes mean that things are constantly happening. Our heart is beating. Our lungs are taking in air. Um, the blood and the air, you know, combine and they, they do their fun thing. They travel the oxygen through the body and out it goes. We take in food. We chew it down. Our stomach then uh, takes it into further nice little bits and pieces that we can integrate into our body. And 
et cetera, et cetera. The point being that just like a fire is constantly alive, changing and in flux, so are our bodies with you know, certain fixed parameters. There's always going to be that earthy quality, but it's not the only quality. And what happens if we take the idea of our, our body and put it into fire? How does that change our relationship with it? Does that change how we interact? It's not a fixed constant. Um, there are some very strong continuity <laughs> things going on. Uh, you know, our skin regenerates as skin, so we always are contained by skin. Things like that, where we we do have these rather fixed and foregoing points, but there there is also this sense of change, constant, constant change. And okay. Fine, well and good, but that means that Volos will ah, is in elemental earth. Good golly, Miss Molly, what the heck is this? Seriously, my my brain spun out. It was it was not um it was not easy. Periodically, it was fun to explore these ideas and to dare to be open enough. Right, we are so comforted by our certainties, so settled into them that to take something that has been kind of like an acknowledged fundamental truth and reality in my philosophical witchy world since I was a wee little Wiccan like nearly 30 years ago or about, well, 30-ish years ago. Uh, I'm heading into 49, which is almost 50, and I have a lot of things going on with age at the moment, but that's neither here nor there for this particular conversation. (sighs) Righto. So daring to let go of what we've held as an intrinsic certainty or, uh, well, at least maybe not intrinsic, but a certainty, a belief that is known like this this is a truth to put that aside and go what if we can add to that truth or let that put it down put it down just set it to the side we're not casting it away we're not throwing it out we're just putting it down for the moment off to the side so that we can pick up something else and look at it without with as few preconceived notions as possible because the more we can do that the more honestly and authentically we will look at the new thing and we will experience it in its closest to its true form as possible because it is in its true form. It is always, everything else is always in its true form. It's our perceptions of it where the lies come in. Well, and then other people because we lie to ourselves. Yeah, yeah. Anyhow, Volos in Elemental Earth. So Volos will, I mean, I've always, Will Volos. It's fire, baby. It's it's you know, drive, passion, determination, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And then to go, well, if I put it into earth, which caused me a little chaotic meltdown on the concept of earth, which apparently I haven't focused on for a little while. And there's foundational earth, elemental earth, there's living earth, there's many different layers of earth. And we don't have a whole host of words for these different layers of the elements. <sighs> Aside from uh, it's easy to toss a living in front of like living water is different from foundational water. And from anyway, 
not going to slide into that too far. Just that there are these different levels that we can view the elements from. And that to view earth, that when I'm talking about elemental earth, I'm not thinking about the plants and the growing things that want inside of my head wants to take all of the living physicalness and put it into earth. That's not really true because all of the living parts of us, all of the living beings, my cute little kitty beside me, because even though we're on a completely different day now, I still have a very sweet cat curled up beside me on the chair and another one looking at me like I'm insane, but this is par for my life. All of these living beings, we're not, we're not just earth. We, we are earth and fire and air and water all mixed up. We are made up of those foundational elements, those foundational essences, those foundational concepts, and the living part is what puts it all together and makes it happen. So to get into elemental earth, I'm like, okay, got to move away from that, in which case the easiest road for me to get into earth is usually, you know, air is a gas, fire is plasma, water is liquid, earth is a solid Earth is form, earth is shape, earth is that structure that allows water to be contained, that gives air something to to wrap itself around and to be shifted by and to be changed by as it moves. But earth itself is slow changing, uh, can be changed by air, can be changed by water, can be fast changed by fire, but it is, it is slow changing, it is certain. Um, it is in a sense fixed, but that takes it, I think a little too far. Anyhow, solid. Now to take that concept of earth, which I'm sure you're familiar with and tie in will. Okay. Just sit with that for a minute to take your will, your volos and to resonate it into elemental earth. What does that feel like? Yes, I'm pausing because I actually want you to go through this uh, feeling and thought experiment. So feel, feel, Take use your brain to encourage yourself to, on a meta level, notice how it feels to pluck the essential cord of will and what that means for you and to do so within a context of elemental earth, that idea of solidness. Will is not something that is constantly shifting and changing and all over the place unless that's what we invite it to be. Will can be certain. Will can be strong in a solid kind of way. Will can, our, our will that takes us forward into the future is so often uh, pushed around by competing factors within ourselves as well as all of the factors in the world around us. That can, thinking of it in fire makes it so easy to think that will is just something that, yes, it exists and it, it shifts and changes, but it adapts and blah, 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 blah. But what if it wasn't? What if we were to let that aspect simmer down a little bit and to come into this, no, my will is certain. My will is strong. My will has vision that will carry me forward 
forward as it is into the future that will not be swayed, shifted, changed, is not reliant upon the fuel that it receives, but instead is the fuel that inspires our bodies into action every day so that our actions become the fire and what drives the action becomes the earth. Pretty cool, right? There's also some really interesting explorations about uh, shifting (laughs) the placements of the elements in uh, directionality and what that can mean for how we interact with them. Um, But that is for another day because I don't want to torment you with all of the fun shifts that I've been playing with on a very practical level all at once, nor do I want to escape the teasing of you with all the potentialities because it's kind of fun, right? Let's shake it up. We've been doing the same thing, it seems like, for so long. We have really rutted ourselves, and not in the fun Beltane way, into viewpoints and behaviors and culture that is so fixated on what it has been that we can't seem to find our way into what we could be. And that, that, my people, my, my, my peeps, you are actually, if you're listening to this, you are my peeps unless you're cursing me as you listen to this, in which case you might still be my peeps. Uh, Because sometimes being a good friend means pissing somebody off to the point where they are like, I hate you. I never want to talk to you again. Oh, apparently we're going to segue into that. Why not? Okay. So as we seek to explain, um, well, not explain, to explore and shift our perspectives to find a new way of viewing the world, uh, we challenge. We challenge people. We challenge where they are at. And I have done it. I think I've pissed off. What am I at? Two, three people in the past four months uh, in really intense ways. And I myself have been pissed off to the point of the inner rant in me was, that's it. I don't need to be your friend. I, I really don't. I don't care that I've known you for 20 years and that you're one of the people that I trust on a fundamental level and I actually have deep caring and love for you. What you have done with this challenge and said to me and forced me into a, uh, basically it was a, well, don't you want to heal? It was, it was making me say things that, and that there's much more story behind that. It may seem like there are ways that I can make it sound like it's, um, all the other person being a bitch and the ways in which, uh, no, 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 it's really, it's really on me. Um, but that's just it. When we get challenged, we can get very angry and it's okay. It's Okay. Like I knew when I had certain conversation with certain people of late that the conversation came from a place of love. The conversation was a, look, you're not going to enjoy this. This isn't going to be easy for you to hear, but I think it's important. It's going to challenge you. It's going to challenge how you react to things on a rather fundamental level. And it's going to challenge you to to break through your tendencies, your viewpoints, the the practices you put into play in order to protect yourself on the world. These are survival mechanisms that many of us learn as a young child due to unhealthy situation or circumstances. Um, 
And so we have survival mechanisms that we put into play, and those survival mechanisms can interfere later in life with how we interact. So I was poking on someone with that, someone else was poking me on it, and quite frankly, I feel like this is a reflection of where we are in the world of this rather necessity we have for challenging our status quo. And there's a lot of challenging of status quo going on where, um, you know, as I said just a few minutes ago, I'm coming up on 49. Yes, that makes me Gen X, the generation so small and forgettable that people will make a list of generations and actually forget to include us. It's quite entertaining. We have, though, as Gen Xers, this rather fascinating take on the world because I'm old enough to remember basically pre-computer. I, my brother had an Apple II Plus when I was growing up, so I was the unusual one in school who actually had computer experiences before the first one showed up in high school when I was going through it. When I hit grade eight and I took a typing class, because we actually had typing class back then, I think it's disappeared now. Anyhow, grade eight typing class. For the first two weeks of my typing class, we were practicing on manual typewriters. That's right, manual typewriters. And I lived in, you know, healthy suburbia in North America. So <laughs> we, we did not have the cutting edge of things, but we were not, you know, far, far behind in receiving normal kind of what a standard school would have. And two weeks on manual typewriters. And then, oh my God, we got electric typewriters. And this was exciting because we had electric typewriters and they would actually remember a line of type and you hit enter and they would type it for you. So you could actually go back and change things while you were still typing. This was super exciting because uh, it wasn't just like electric typewriter, but it had that line of memory. Th these were amazing advances. And I was, I was a teenager, right? Grade eight. So I would have been what? 13? When those came out as a Gen Xer, I was around when, you know, there was no VCR. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when VCRs came out and the whole beta VHS thing. And then, oh my God, not just like VCRs, but a remote for the TV. So you didn't have to get up a remote for your VCR. Oh my God. The lap of luxury. Oh my God. Cell phones. Whoa. So, and now of course, here we are. Um, very much in the thick of technological advancement. I've lived in both and young enough, and I lived through the changes. You know, I, I grew up with the changes and the younger generations grew up with even more changes. But the start of that technological rave had already begun and it began kind of in my, my era. So I like to think that as Gen Xers, we really understand the, the before and after viewpoint more so perhaps than, than others and allows us to really see the shifts that have happened. You know, I lived through the 80s when, I mean, if you watch 16 Candles and uh, the... I'm trying to remember some other names of movies from that era. I mean, The Breakfast Club, quite... Still, still a great movie in many, many ways. Um, but there was this whole round of um, Molly Ringwald-style movies of the era that, you know, you watch them now and you're like, man, things were date rapey in the 80s. And we really, 
were not, if you want to go kind of modern parlance, we were not woke. Uh Uh-uh. We had racism, we had sexism, and we just accepted that as par for the course. So we are the generation that that was, that was our normal. And now it isn't, uh, it may still be something that happens regularly and it's kind of baked into the circumstances, but the awareness that it's not okay, that, that people are truly speaking out about it. And that, you know, if you watch these movies now, they're cringeworthy because we don't see the world in the same way. We are waking up to understanding and realizing how we've been hurting each other for a really long time. All right. So we need to change perspective. As a Gen Xer, I like to think I bring a fun perspective to this. We also are in the midst of massive change, massive worldwide change because climate change, climate emergency is real. The world is changing. Everything about it is changing. And that's not going to stop. There's no pulling back from the edge on this one. We, we've already, except instead of being a cliff, it's more like uh, a ski hill, which is kind of amusing because I've never actually been skiing, even though I grew up in the lower mainland of British Columbia, which has some great, great skiing within like an hour of, or like two most from where I live. Excellent skiing, never gone and don't think it's ever going to happen now because I don't deal well with going faster than I can control downhill uh, without something wrapped around me that totally protects me. So in other words, a car is good, a bike is bad, skateboard is horrid, and skis just seem like an invitation for me to be broken and dead. Never going to happen for me. However, the idea that we're going down a ski hill kind of situation, which is to say that there is Once you go over the hill, as I understand it, watching movies, once you've started going down, yeah, started going down. So you either crash to a halt, you come to a controlled stop, uh, but the down is inevitable. You're not going back up without the ski lift, not while still wearing your skis. We have crossed the top, the pinnacle of the change. It's happening. We are going down the hill. Uh, The world is going to change. There is no stopping it now. It's just, are we going to be a controlled descent to where we actually choose, at least to some degree, our destination? Are we going to go off the rails? Are we going to go careening like something from a Bugs Bunny episode between different trees and rocks smashing into us and ending up a bloody but not actually dead pulp at the bottom because uh, humanity, really hard to kill humanity. Oh, weird moment because I don't know if I got into a certain analogy in the part that got deleted. Thank you ever so much computer yesterday or in the part that was actually recorded and that you already listened to. It's a very strange thing, not quite knowing for sure what was included or not in specific phrases. Hmm. Play that with your perspective a little bit. So we've got this change coming and you're probably wondering in this weird rambling and I, I acknowledge I am still quite rambly. In my take on things in this podcast, uh, because I haven't settled into my new world order yet. My new world doesn't have order. My new world has swirls. My new world has pinnacles and drops. 
my new world is still exploring itself quite heartily. And as such means that when I record something, which I've always done my recordings as I sit down, I start to babble and I get from the beginning to the end, mostly at an hour point because it makes me happy and I'm done. Uh, and when I first started, I had such clear views and now I have clearer understandings and muddier views. Hmm. Not quite sure where to go with that, but it's still very much a rambling thing. And I'm sorry if my rambling makes you crazy. I'm probably not the podcast for you because we, I'm discovering me as I talk to you. I solidify my understanding at least temporarily because I don't guarantee that my views won't change again into something concrete enough to become sounds that transfer out into the world that you can then listen to and understand. So what brought me to this podcast episode anyway, right? Because there is something of that. What the heck led me into this? Something must have inspired it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, there was. And I'm going to share it with you uh, because it's another invitation to think. And it's a little bit into, I are a lot, depending on your viewpoint, on... Uh, the world, the world now and where our focus lies and what's important. So sometimes in my 7am commute, yes, I get up at 10 to 6. Well, my alarm goes off at 10 to 6. I usually get up more like 6, uh, into work in the morning because I am now back at work. My tragedy of anxiety, hmm, that's okay. We have the path that we need to follow and it has often many side trips, just like our intestines and colon. Uh, to get all of the worth out of our experiences, but it doesn't always mean it's a fun nor straight trip to where we want to go. And I'm driving in in the morning, listening to 1027 The Peak, which is my uh, mostly favorite radio station at this point. It's alternative rock and the music makes me happy and I've been buying music again, which is a really good thing, actually engaging with music and art again. I see that as part of regaining a sense of living uh, and connecting into life. And listening to Tyler and Lynch in the morning who uh, are actually people that I can handle listening to first thing in the morning and I don't just automatically go looking for the next song on some other station because most of the time I really can't stand the banter that goes on, especially in the morning. No, actually all the time on radio shows. So these two guys, fair amount of bounder, and they like to have their segments of various natures. And this particular segment on this particular day, a couple days ago, was uh, they share a story that they have found um, on the interwebs, I presume, and then get the listeners to vote on their preferred story. So basically, are you Team Lynch or Team uh, Tyler? Sorry, I usually hear the names together, so that threw me. I've been apologizing a lot this episode, haven't I? Hmm. Well, there it is. Anywho, so Tyler's story was about a research dog in Australia. So right now, as I record this, the fires are out of control in Australia and millions of animal lives have been lost. And I think it's about 27, maybe 30 uh, human lives, because heaven forbid we should include those two numbers together. Uh, anyway, huge raging fires, huge property loss, huge uh, life lost for animals, some for humans. And there's, uh, if you've heard about a 
last I heard about a third of the koala um, population is dead, which is tragic in and of itself just to hear. I, I'm soft-hearted and all the... Actually, I don't have to explain it. It's just tragic to have that much loss of life. And for uh, koala bears were rather entrancing to me when I was a child. And there was, the story was about this dog who is actually trained for a research project to sniff out koala bears so he could point out the sight of a koala bear to the researchers and then they could study the koala bear. So part of the problem that koala bears are having right now is they are not the most fast moving and they live in trees and trees are burning down. So they're not getting out of harm's way particularly well. So this dog has been going around um, close to the fires. They've been taking them out and finding the koala bears that are in danger and in the path of the fire and rescuing them. So, you know, he was saying, I don't know the actual number, but he was saying like, you know, could be thousands of koala bears that this dog has saved, which is pretty amazing. And then Tyler's story was a kid who, when he was three years old, was diagnosed with leukemia. And he's now, I think, six years old. So it's been three years. Uh, he's at least in remission or has beaten the leukemia. And it was his first day at school. And all of the people, all the kids and the teachers and everybody lined the hallways and cheered him in. So celebrating his, his arrival uh, in school and celebrating his uh, essentially success in surviving this disease and as such a young, young person. Lovely stories. They're both great stories. Um, kind of giving you a little moment to contemplate which one would be your choice. Which is your favorite story? And a few minutes later, so they play a song, right? I think it was only one song later. They were tallying already, you know, like the, who, who was ahead? Who was ahead? Who was ahead was Team Lynch. So the boy with leukemia getting celebrated coming into the uh, school was the, the vote winner at that point, and Tyler conceded defeat right off the bat, so they didn't keep going with it which makes me think it was rather a, a clear one side win. And that's what led me to kind of ponder things and to go, well, isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? Yeah, and it's not, please, please do not take this as a, oh, I don't like the story about the boy with the leukemia getting applauded. I think that's great. And it's nice to see people actually getting behind and celebrating someone. <gasps> However... Uh, I find it fascinating that that's where we gravitate to as opposed to a story that takes us into, let's face it, a difficult place, which is um, facing or leaning into, if you will, the Australian bushfires that are destroying so much. And it's hard. It's hard to think about tragedy. And that we go to the human life saved as opposed to the animal lives saved. And the, is it really one human life over the thousands of koala lives? You know, like where do we put our sense of worth of what is important of how we, how do we value life? And I don't say that I have an answer, nor do I, want to say that one is truly one over the other because it's both valuing life. 
I just find it fascinating that people gravitated to the one and not the other. And I get concerned. I get concerned that we don't see ourselves as part of the Terran community, of this planet, of this web of life that is, is everything that we are together. Uh, there was a meme earlier this week I also saw of a guy driving car and how, you know, 40 years ago, oh my God, you're driving and your windshield is covered with bugs on a road trip and how aggravating that was. But now, hey, driving on a road trip, there's almost no bugs. This is great. Uh, except that, of course, almost no bugs is really horrible and terrifying because without the bugs, we will actually all of our ecosystems break down. We are a network in our ecosystem, an ecosystem that includes us, but is uh, we are a part of, we are not the purpose of, nor are we the only important part. And I think it's that shift that's really funky, that shift from seeing ourselves as the most important uh, to a sense of almost service, I think is where I'm headed in my rather contemplative state today. However, I don't want to go down that road, mostly because the hour is up and I don't have fixed things to say about it. Just an invitation to think, where did you go with this story? And when I kind of poke at it, does it make you want to argue with me or does it make you angry with people who chose the other story? In which case, why is there anger? And if we get angry at people who don't see the broader context, doesn't that also limit things? So it's all kinds of questions that I want to open up because until we can open our perspectives, until we can open up to possibilities of seeing things differently, we are trapped in our past and our patterns and we are going straight down that ski hill without turning right or left and we are crashing into the bottom, period. So we feel, we shift our perspective, we explore, and we see where we're going to end up. Do feel free to send me comments uh, if you so desire. I'm not online a whole heck of a lot, so um, emailing me, penniesinthewell at gmail.com, is probably still the easiest way to go if you really want to reach out. I am not the best at responding, uh, in part because, oh my God, so much email at work that I just limit what I do. That doesn't mean that I won't connect uh, directly with you. Just uh, trying to set realistic boundaries. Plus, if you have some fun comments, maybe you will inspire me to another podcast. So think of it that way. And of course, and I don't know how often I have said this of late, but FYI, you send me yelly, negative, grumbly things, and I'm just going to ignore you because I really just don't have the time and energy for that. I'm not trying to convince anyone of anything because convincing someone is way too much work. My world is all about invitation and going, look, isn't, isn't this kind of new thoughts that I'm having in different perspective? Isn't it cool? Don't you kind of want to come play in it and see how it feels for you and see how it could change things for you and maybe get you out of your ruts that you're stuck in again, not the happy Beltane kind that's how I like to work. Uh, so if it doesn't work for you, then move along. 
head on somewhere else. I'm sure there's somebody else that does work for you. I'm not out to force anyone to change. I just want to set the seeds for those who are looking for seeds to be able to find them and uh, perhaps a little easier than it was for me all these years. Righto, with all of that, much, much love and care to you all. Blessings of the deep and wild. Blessed be.